counsels act of cruelty. The face of history is pot by the ugly scars of intolerance. Why? Of all the things, uh, where, especially from in religious entities, when we're preaching about trying to get to heaven and whatever we picture that to be, whatever the religion is, why are we so possible to get into the vitriol that might lead to violence and and pain and all that? What is there about religious that drives that, Cicely? There's a sense that there's a right and everybody else is wrong, but there's a justification that comes in. I'm going to yell and scream and, and, and murder you to prove I'm right. Funny how we do that one. Okay. Why else does this become so, so much of a struggle? Yeah. Well, I, I think Satan has such a, a big part in this. Um, I was, saw where a couple of little girls from Australia had joined ISIS, gone, run away from home and joined ISIS, and I thought they were beautiful girls. What in the world? Yeah. Let's look online. Let's find out who's beheading and kidnapping women, and and let's go join them. Yeah, wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, that there is that there is a sense of that's where we want to be. Okay, so I think Satan has his hand in that. Yeah. How much of how much of the battle in between factions do you think there's somebody behind that that it stands to gain power wise, greed wise, and money wise? And so often that's what, isn't it? What were the Crusades about? <laughs> yes. Yeah. But ultimately there were kingdoms that were looking to push out and gain, gain more power and control and land. Uh, this is what uh, Hugh Nibley uh, called the, uh, the, the blood for property principle. Uh, the, this is the mayhem principle. Blood for uh, property for blood. But when we did it, it was called manifest destiny. To a certain extent, it can <laughs> depend on how we do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Book of Mormon pre pre predicted that it would occur, but but when we're going to go ahead and conquer now now, but here's again. So so, and in fact, we, we will see it alluded to in here. What about the Israelites? Forty years in the wilderness, and then they're going to finally make it to their promised land. But what do they need to do? They kind of get their people living there, right? What they've got to do? They have to kill them. Yeah, they were commanded. I know. And not only that, we're punished when they didn't kill everybody. You go well. That's that's kind of what turns people off of the Old Testament. Yeah, that just doesn't make any sense. People use that to justify. Well, the, the the Nazis used uh, the, those kind of principles to say we're justified in exterminating. Okay, and so that's why I say part of what makes this hard is we get this the mixing of religious principles of what is right and what is wrong, and and this is really going to show up right about now uh, in the history of uh, the New Testament. So let's start uh, by turning to Acts ten. Now, part of what, what's fascinating for, to me about this is that one of the things I love about the, the Bible, Old and New Testament, is that we have very human people. 
And when you start seeing their humanness, you start seeing them struggle with some of the issues that we struggle with. So, and, and so to move and sense of tradition and what needs to happen, watch the Lord gradually move the church, not in so big a jump that they can't make it, but watch Him move them step by step by step at a rate that they can handle. Because He's got to walk them back from some beliefs that they have that are going to get in the way of preaching the gospel. Okay, Some of those traditional things we were just talking about. Okay? Uh... There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of a band called the Italian Band. This has nothing to do with rock and roll. <laughs> a centurion meaning that he's what? He's a Roman soldier. Yeah, and so he's a man with some wealth and some property. Okay, um, Called the Italian Band, I like that. But he is a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Okay, now, in order to to move this really good man into a place where he's going to be baptized, it would have been really hard to go to Peter and say, there's a really good Roman guy, baptize him in the church. How How many hurdles stand between, here's a good guy giving alms, and here is somebody that we baptize and accept him into the church. What hurdles have we got to cross between here and there? He's a Gentile. He, for, well, number one, he's a Gentile. What's the problem with the Gentile? No, we don't like him. Not only do we not like him, but we can't even be around him, can we? Can't eat with him. And the gospel's not for them. And we watched the Savior particularly going to the Israelites, but he wasn't really going to the Gentiles. Right? So, by tradition, we're not teaching, even in the early stages of the church, we're not teaching the Gentiles, we're teaching the covenant people. We're, we're teaching the children of Abraham, not the Gentiles. Okay? So, we've got to get past that. Anything else? Well, number two, they're a hard headed Italian. <laughs> they're the Romans. You know, there are conquerors. Why would we... So we really don't like them. Okay, we've seen all the things that Romans are doing. Absolutely. Weren't they attacking all of the religious people? Yeah, like, well, uh, and not only that... Paul, Saul? Who, who, who actually... Well, yes, the, under the direction of... the Saul was first working for the Sanhedrin. He's actually working for the Jews. Oh, so he's okay. not working. But the, who crucified the Savior? Well, depending on who we look at it, like the Jews did, but who was their, their arm? Well, it was the Romans. It was Pilate that signed off on all of this. Okay, So there's, you get this sense of animosity against that. And, and at the very end, it still means, dang it, we are the covenant people. We, we are the chosen people. We're Abraham's seed. And everybody else is not. Okay? And of course, again, I, I've, I've joked before in here that we never do that in the church, right? <laughs> I come from pioneer stock. How about you? <laughs> so sad. Because my, my, my generation, I go back eight generations. How about you? Only two? <laughs> One. Sorry. We, we love converts, but I go back eight generations. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> My people were in Nauvoo, and yours? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, well, but the idea is that we're kind of trumping each other. We're based on... Uh, well, but we were looking... Cindy and I were looking at last night. There's a new thing by, by Ancestry.com about the relative finder. You know, and you start going through there. Who in my family? Well, you know, I, I'm related to Queen Elizabeth. She's my fifth cousin, twice removed. You know, and that means I'm somebody. We, we want to have that sense of who we are. But that sense of who we are, we don't always look at that as a gift. We look at that as a right. And that means that somehow I'm better than. And the Jews had got caught up in the fact that the Lord loves you and these, you're my people, but now you're going to use that as an oppressive thing to not share, to not teach. And, we've got, and did Peter and the disciples get caught up in this? Sure, they were raised with that. Culturally, they were steeped in this. So that's why I say, to, to just simply say, okay, I need you to go uh, up to Caesarea, see Cornelius, baptize him and his family, too big a jump. You say, well, wait a minute, he's a prophet. He should know these things, shouldn't he? But he's a prophet who is human and steeped in culture. So watch how a Lord, the Lord moves a prophet. Watch how the Lord moves a prophet. And it's beautifully orchestrated in this thing. Okay, so the scene opens. Now we're in Caesarea. We see Cornelius. And, and he's a good guy. And then he sees, verse 3, in a vision evidently in the ninth hour of the day, an angel comes to him. He sees an angel. I thought only you know, righteous, baptized people were supposed to see the angels and things. They did. That's right. Didn't help much. Is this the poem that used to be solved? Is this Peter? Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. We're, we're getting we're getting to solve Paul in a minute. Yeah. In a vision, evidently ninth hour, he was afraid. What is it, Lord? He says, "Thy prayers and all are come up as a memorial." Now. Here's the problem, though. I, you're, you're now a believer, but what, what are you going to need? If you're that good, you need to be baptized. Where's he going to go to get the baptism? Going to go to the local authority. Okay, so do this. Send man to Joppa. Uh, call for one Simon, whose name is Peter. He lodges with Simon a Tanner. Uh, house on the seaside. And... Uh, and then I love this. And he shall tell thee what thou wantest to do. Yes. So you're going to go, and you're going to go, and, and, and Simon Peter will tell you what comes next. This is so great here. Okay, so. So he sends them off to Joppa. They went up on their journey, and they drew nigh to the city. Peter went up upon the house to pray about the sixth hour. Now, this is part of the plain and tre- precious truths that were taken out of the Bible, uh, this was actually Fast Sunday. It's not recorded here. It was actually Fast Sunday. How come we know? Uh, he, Tim, he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. He got really hungry. It was Fast Sunday and he passed out. 
Okay. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Okay. He became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And this is a six hour, meaning it's around noon. Right? Okay. Now, what's he going to see? So we've already had a vision over here with Cornelius, and now we're going to get a second vision to a prophet. And, and listen to what this is. Um, heaven's open, a certain vessel descended as if it had been a great sheet, drawn up at the corners, they're let down, all manner of the four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, fowls, uh, all of these, this mix of clean animals and unclean animals. They're all kind of mixed together. Okay? Uh, and there came a voice in, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, verse 14. Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice says, What God has planned, that call not die common. Now, let's stop for a second. What what decides what is clean and what is unclean? What is common and not common? What's he referring to? The law of Moses, right? These are the laws. Okay? So this is part of the law of Moses that's all bound up in here. Okay? Now, how long has he been with the Savior? Over three years. Okay? And he says, During that time I have never broken the dietary commandments of the law of Moses. Now, here's my question. Didn't the Savior come to fulfill the law of Moses? I haven't come to kill the law. I've come to fulfill it. But during this entire time, even apparently in the 40 days after the Savior's resurrection, are are these devout Jews breaking the law of Moses? Never. Now, they sometimes push the rules on some of the Pharisaical, the Pharisees things about how far you could walk on a Sabbath day, how much grain could you eat while you're walking through a wheat field on the Sabbath. You know, he would push those that were added by Pharisees later. But if you're just simply referring to the law of Moses as we have it in the Torah, they had, did they ever break those? Apparently not. They have kept those steadfastly. Even in the presence of the Savior. So that gives you a sense. Did the Savior break the law of Moses? No. No. Probably not. In other words, he kept every law that he as Jehovah gave to the Moses in the first place. That's why this is a big deal. What is about to occur here is going to go counter to what the Savior was doing and the example that they saw. Now, if it's going to be this big, what does it require to make the change? A big jump. And how's the big jump going to be occur? By revelation. It would take a revelation. Not just a decision on Peter's part. But in doing that, it's got to go through the mind of Peter. And inside that mind is a devout Jew living the law of Moses. And we're going to run headlong into that battle. So here it comes. Uh, the voice spake unto him, what God had cleansed, call out the common. Now, 17, and it happened three times. Uh, it's the law of three. 17, now when Peter doubted, now listen close to this, I, just, I think this is fantastic. Now while Peter doubted in himself, 
what this vision he had seen should mean. <laughs> Say that in different words. What? What? He, he's had the vision and he still doesn't understand what it means. So it's, there's still this doubt. Okay, I've had this. Uh, does this mean I should mean like, like having pork ribs and I never have eaten pork ribs? It can't mean that. It can't mean that because it's against the law. Does that make sense? Why would it be saying kill and eat when all of my life to be a devout Jew meant that I didn't do that? To show devotion to God meant I didn't do that. And I never saw the Savior eat pork ribs. That has always meant being devout and being uh, of the, the, the right thing to do. It can't mean that. Can it? I don't know. So we're, we're having to slowly move his mind forward. See, that, that, that's why this becomes an important point because sometimes when people attack the church and they say, well, didn't Joseph Smith understand this? And didn't Joseph Smith get this? The Lord was having to slowly move the mind of a prophet forward and it would come line upon line, stage by stage. But it's easier with young people. That's why there are... It is easier with young people. But even with a young person, it was still going to have to move Joseph to the say, okay, you're going to do the Book of Mormon. Then there's going to be a church. And oh, by the way, now you're going to gather. And now you're going to build a temple. What's the temple for? I have no idea, but we're supposed to do it. And oh, by the way, now we're getting, there's this Zion thing and the law of consecration. Well, I'm not quite sure what that means. And then, oh, by the way, now there's baptism for the dead. Really? What's that? You know, It's like the, Joseph couldn't have had it all at once, and there's no way that he could have dropped it on the saints all at once. They had to be moved step by step. So when people attack the church and say, well, Joseph Smith should have known this and that. No, he was human, and this is how this process works. Watch Peter. Peter's our example here. So Peter gets this vision, and he has no idea what it means. Well, he, he may have an idea, but it can't mean that, right? Don't know. <coughs> Peter doubted in himself what this vision should mean, uh, and, and the guys show up, and they say, well, uh, we're supposed to... We're supposed to take you, while Peter thought on the vision, 19, uh, the Spirit said three men seek you. Oh, okay. And arise, get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing. Now what am I supposed to do? Go with these three guys. Really? Okay, we're from Cornelius up in Caesarea. Uh Uh-huh. You're supposed to come with us. Well, the Spirit said go with you. All right. Let's just walk on faith here. We have no idea. I've had this crazy vision and now the guys are showing up at my doorstep. Peter says, okay, so they said, Cornelius sent us. So, verse uh, 25, Peter goes, Cornelius meets him, worships him, Peter says, I'm a man. They went in. uh, And 28, And he says to, to the Cornelius, You know how that it is unlawful for a man that's a Jew to keep company or come unto one another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. In other words, maybe this vision means that it's okay to do what? Walk in your house. 
Maybe the vision said it's all right to actually come into your house where Gentiles live, where there's unleavened bread, where there's you eat unclean animals. Maybe that's what it means. It's just okay to come and actually be in the same house with you. It's that it's that big a deal. Otherwise, I've got to stand out in the street. It's that big a jump. Okay, so maybe that's what it means. Okay, twenty nine. Therefore, I come unto you without gain, saying, and I love this. Uh, I ask, therefore, for what intent have you sent me? Say that in different words. Why am I here? Why am I here? <laughs> so, so, I, so on one end you've got the Cornelius getting an angel saying, "Tell Peter to come." Peter on his end is the Spirit saying, "Go to him." So Peter's just following him, and then he gets there and he goes, "Okay, what am I doing here?" Tell me what you want. He still doesn't get it. Why he's there. There is a little confusion going on here. And then Cornelius says, I was fasting. Uh, I had this vision. And, and then, this is what happened. And now, verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and says, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteous is accepted of him. So it's beginning to dawn on him. These are good people. They're, they're coming with an honest heart. They love the Lord and they want to be taught. So what's he going to teach them? The gospel. The gospel. Jesus crucified. Uh, God had appointed Jesus of Nazareth. We were witnesses. He raised him up. Uh, now... Look at 44. Now, now comes the moment that I think it finally comes together. You're watching this. These, these barriers in Peter's brain get finally advanced forward. He's going to say, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which had heard the word, and they of the circumcision, meaning Covenant. Jews, Covenant. Those that were with Peter. Those of the circumcision which believed were... Why? Why would they be astonished? Because the Gentiles are getting what? The Holy Ghost. Just like, just like we did when? At Pentecost. The Holy Ghost was meant for the covenant, circumcised, baptized people. It was meant for us. And now we're watching these good people, but they're Romans and they're Gentiles. And what's happening? They of the circumcision which believed were astonished as came with Peter because on, on the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost for they that heard them speak with tongues and magnify with God. They were having, this is, brothers and sisters, the baptism of fire. To, to experience these kind of things, they were having the cleansing baptism of fire. And what had not yet happened yet to them? Baptism. baptism. Again, can somebody be cleansed by the power of the Holy Ghost before their water baptism? Yes. Yes. Lamanites had it. 
These guys had it. The gift of the, the power and the cleansing of the Holy Ghost by fire is not coming up out of the water clean. That's the by, by that water you do the commandment. By the fire you are cleansed, and sometimes that cleansing comes prior to the water baptism. Does that make sense? And in this case, it absolutely happened. And those of the circumcision, why? Because we're the children of Israel, Abraham, and we're watching it and we're going, the Gentiles are getting this too. And they're watching this. And then they heard him speaking tongues. Then answered Peter, Oh man, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as we? You think the vision now makes sense? This is what it meant. We are now supposed to start baptizing Gentiles. We're now supposed to start preaching to Gentiles. I know you don't know the answer to this, but it's just interesting. <laughs> well, how do you know? <laughs> because you know how God thinks. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just interesting that he would give Peter a vision that he did, rather than an angel come down to say, this is, okay, you got to change your mind about these things. Okay, t- take that. So, so that, I was going to ask that question. Perfect, perfect question. Why didn't, if, the, if we're going to send the time and the energy to send an angel to Peter, why not just say, here comes the vision, start baptizing Gentiles, will you? And by the way, there's a good guy in Caesarea. Why don't you start with him? Why don't we do that? Say that again. It's the difference between telling somebody what to do. A lecture. And teaching them what to do. Yes. It's the application. Think that as, as parents, is, that a, is there a big lesson that jumps out at you there? It's one thing to just tell them, lecture people what should happen. True teaching is the putting them in situations where they learn by their own experience how this is going to work. Yeah. I think it's interesting that there are still some Christian synagogues in Dallas that won't allow Gentiles, but yet they are Christian and they worship Christ, but they still want this distinction that they're anointed, the anointed people. Yeah, and anointing means um, that, that we kind of hold it within ourselves. Okay? Yeah. We want them to be able to think for themselves, but, but notice very carefully how this is done. So we're going to give you the vision, and then we're going to put you in the situation where you watch it put into application, right? And then the vision makes sense. We teach them in seminary, we teach them in young men's, young women's, but then they have to be in situations where the two can suddenly be tied together and you go, that's what the vision was about. This is that moment when we are doing this service, or we are, and that, that's what the testimony, what you felt in testimony meeting, what you felt while you were reading the Book of Mormon, that's what that was telling you. There's the application, now you have, now you have the true vision. I was going to say, sometimes like, uh, you can just be reading scriptures, and then you can actually be 
reading the scripture and the conclusion dawns on you what it means, and that's what he was trying to make sure occurred. If you come to the conclusion yourself, yeah, I just think there are some times when if, if, we're, if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, you know, we're, we've got kids or families and we're reading the scriptures together, but we have a goal and we're going to get through one chapter every day, you know, and, and, it, and what happens if you're in the middle of that one chapter every day and suddenly you've got a kid there going, wait a minute, this is just like what I saw at school. And you go, no, no, we're not going to talk about that. We have to get through that one chapter every day. We have a goal. I have to check this off and say that we're getting through here because we were going to be done with the Book of Mormon by Christmas. You know, or we have we brought our lesson to to gospel essentials. We brought our lesson to gospel doctrine. And we have a lesson, dang it, and suddenly somebody's talking about some stuff, and this is really important stuff. And you go, no, I have five more items to talk about. Stop the discussion. No, but we're putting it together. We said this, and I had this experience. No, stop it. I won't get through my lesson. Not that we ever do that. That's another hand. Yeah. I was just thinking how powerful it is when the Holy Ghost actually was present with Peter in the presence of Cornelius and gave him, I mean, I feel the spirit of the Holy Ghost and I'm in the presence of this. Yeah, he needed that tremendous outpouring. By the way, in our church history, can you think of anything a little similar to this? In our, in our uh, early church history? What about Nauvoo? What happens after the death of Joseph? There's still some question. Is it Joseph Smith III? Takes it here. Emma says it is. Is it Sidney Rigdon? Sidney Rigdon says the church needs a guardian. Brigham Young says it's the the apostles are supposed to be in charge. Uh, There's this new guy, James Strange. He's having visions. Who is supposed to be the successor to Joseph Smith? How did the people know? My own pioneer grandfather was there and wrote in his journal that we saw Joseph. We heard Joseph and yet it was Brigham standing in the back of that wagon. Yeah. We had a friend in We just read it. We're supposed to get it done. Yeah, because it never got in. That's why I said that. That's why I love the idea that it's the real teaching that has to go on. And the real teaching is taking the vision of the Spirit and connecting it with the activities and letting the Holy Ghost say, "That's what it's teaching you. That is. That's the Scripture living inside you. It's the Scripture living in your life. This is what makes change in your life." Yeah. You can receive the gift, the baptism of fire that will cleanse cleanses your sins. Now, obviously, the gift of the Holy Ghost uh, has to be done by the laying on of hands by proper priesthood authority. So is that not the baptism of fire? No, it's not actually. It's actually not. 
The baptism of fire is the spirit and the fire that cleanses us and makes us a new creature in Christ. It can, actually. I think about how many kids... I know my baptismal day, I know that I was eight. I know that I hated water. I know that I was screaming... I, I, I was baptized once, and my toe came up, and I had to be baptized a second time. I was explaining to my dad why I couldn't be baptized a second time, because I hated water, and then I was done, and he put me under the water literally while I was yelling. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Stomping on my foot. At the same time, my little sister, who is three years younger, is literally screaming, trying to crawl over the top of the glass thing into the font because she wants to go swimming. So, so my mom, my mom is wrestling with my sister. I can hear her screaming. I can see her in my terror as I'm about to go into the water again. I can hear that. I can see my dad trying to like just grab me and quick and say. Rah, rah. <laughs> And, 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 oh, and, and there was no baptism of fire happening that day. I promise you. Um, and I know that for an awful lot of converts, that baptism of fire, the cleansing, may not ever come. Joseph Smith said that if it's done with all the wrong things, you might as well baptize a sack of sand. But, for, but I think a lot of times... And then I've had those that I know that it happened before their water baptism. Now after that comes the continual gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands, by proper priesthood authority. And that, that's, that's a gift that is given to members. Yeah. And I would imagine that it's a continual cleansing as you learn more. And as you tie into the sacrament every Sunday mm-hmm. and come with a, a devout heart and you get that additional cleansing. Absolutely. And as you become converted. Imagine the condemnation that something like that is given to somebody who's unworthy or unprepared or unready. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, So I just think this was a tremendous blessing, but it gave you an idea and they had witnesses. They had witnesses. that This Pentecostal thing could have happened with Cornelius and the gang without Peter being there, but Peter's there to do what? Witness. And partly for Peter's benefit. Because you know what? Now Peter has to go back to Joppa and do what? He's got to sell this thing. He's got to sell it. And, and the next chapter is him trying to sell it. Because they're going, you went where? You were actually in his house? You ate his food? What's wrong with you? And he says, well, let me about tell you about what started on Fast Sunday. And I... You know, in my vision and Cornelius' vision, and then I went there, and then the Holy Ghost, and then there were witnesses to say, we're, this is, the church is about to make this major change and begin to go forward. It's now to become a worldwide church. So. Okay, I know this isn't really what you're talking about, but I just was impressed with Cornelius. He fasted for three days. Isn't that cool? Like, wow. It gives you that, what a golden contact. <laughs> this is the most golden of all investigators. This guy's ready to go, you know. And to say, at some point in Peter's mind, Peter's standing outside this righteous man's house going, I'm not even sure if I should go in through the front door because there might be unleavened bread here. Okay? Now, so 
wonderful lesson that, that comes here. Okay, now, let, let me change gears just a little bit, but you're going to see kind of how it all kind of comes together, I hope. One of, it impresses me, especially in modern society, one of the things that we're anxious to do is to have guarantees and warranties. You ever, have you bought anything lately? Anything from a car to a computer to, I don't know, a box of nails? And, and what do they try and do at the, at the cash register? They sell you a warranty. Okay? And why would they do that? And they're going to make more money, but they're making more money on what? Why would people buy a warranty? It's a chance to take care of the risk, right? Anybody own any insurance? Anybody, you know, look at all the things that we... Do you own homeowner's insurance? Do you... I mean, we all of that is built on the idea that we're trying to minimize our risk. We're trying to minimize any pain that may come with that. We want to, we want to eliminate risk. Because we don't like the pain when we run headlong into it. Okay? So, guarantees that we would like that I hear on a regular basis. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just slather children in Purell and they won't ever get sick? <laughs> just, you know, just get a big squeegee mop and just soak it on them, okay, before we send them out, okay, until Ebola shows up. And now we're not sure how to protect them. There's not enough Purell in the world to take care of Ebola. Now what do we do? We keep kids home. We don't even dare go outside. Okay? Because we're scared. And, like, and, and I get it. There is pain that comes when we go through these painful kind of things. But we would like guarantees to help remove the pain. Right? <coughs> A great Pinterest meme will change my life. <laughs> It would be really nice if I was like, I was having a really rough day and then I saw this thing on Facebook or Pinterest and now, I, now my life is forever different. And if I would just follow that, and it had a picture of a kitten too, that made it different. Okay. And I shared it with, you know, a thousand of my friends. Not that I ever do that. Okay, I did it yesterday. <laughs> If they carry a toothbrush everywhere, they won't have cavities. <laughs> Brush them constantly, okay? <clears throat> if we always pay our tithing, we will never have financial problems. <laughs> Ain't that the promise? <laughs> yeah, okay. When you have gone through financial problems, isn't that one of the first things that goes through your mind? We paid my tithing. How, he can't lose his job. We were paying our tithing. And then the air conditioner went out while he didn't have a job. You know, I, wait a minute. We paid our tithing. We want, we want to use tithing as a guarantee against financial problems, right? Sometimes we don't understand that. Okay. How about... The family that prays together will never lose a kid. That's the promise, isn't it? What is the promise on that one? 
that they will come back eventually. There is no guarantee of that either. So why are we doing it in the first place? Obedience. Part of it is obedience. We've been asked to. Is there a greater probability of keeping a, a family together if we're teaching them what they need to be taught? Yes. If we're reading the scriptures with them, does that increase the chances by quite a bit? That they, they will learn it and they will apply it later on? Yes. Is it a guarantee? Yeah. Teach a child when they're young and when they are, when they are grown, they will not depart from it. Oh, that's right. Maybe it's the old thing when they're about 80. Five. There's, but there's not a guarantee there. But we want, but we're a people that want guarantees. If I marry a return missionary in the temple, our marriage will never have spiritual problems. I hear this one weekly in my office. I did it right. I married a good man, return missionary in the temple, and now he's left the church. What happened? God said we would be fine if I did it this way. My young women's leaders said when I was young, if I would do it this way, I wouldn't have any problems. What happened? Did God change his mind? He's got agency, but I should have known that. Or he should have known that. But God promised. My young women's leader said that. Young women's leaders can stretch the truth. Or do they not understand? Or do sometimes in this process, do we un, unintentionally throw in guarantees that really we can't? Or maybe do we bank on the promise and not really necessarily take care of the steps along the way to ensure that promise is going to happen? We, we may have not taken care of the steps along the way. It's possible that we married him in the temple and then we never kind of went back to the temple. Or, but, 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 it is, but I, I hear this one a lot of that we were active in the church. We did what we were supposed to do. We were paying our tithing and we still lost a kid and my husband still went. Uh, inactive or I mean we want our brains and, and it's, it's a natural human condition to want guarantees because we hurt so much when it happens there's a I don't know if it's Jeffrey or Holland or but somebody said thinking that because we live a good life and keep the commandments and do all the things that we're supposed to that that is a guarantee against trials and challenges is like thinking that the bull is not going to charge because we're vegetarian <laughs> okay, let, let, let me say it. But, but by living, uh, you know, I could have heard either one of those brethren saying that. It could be the Neil Maxwell. So anyway, that, uh, but believing that we're going to live this life and we won't have any trials is comparable to saying the bull will not charge us because we're vegetarians. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's perfect. Um, but so, so so sometimes so sometimes people look at it and say then why did I do it in the first place? Because it may turn out that I did it because I wanted the guarantees. If I will just learn to recognize the spirit, then I will never make a mistake. We want the guarantees. That's 
That's the struggle here. That's also being very temporally minded because if we're doing the things that we're supposed to be doing, there's like ridiculous blessings for us eventually. And sometimes it's just so hard to see that far in the future yeah. because it, it's probably good. It might be the next life. It might, and we can't see that far. All we know is what makes sense to us, and all that makes sense to us is what we can see and feel. And get our hands around, about yeah. Life. And that's that's a hard answer to give. Well, you're eventually, eventually. Gonna oh yeah, out. yeah, to, yeah. Trying to explain to the set, and trying to explain that to somebody who's in the middle of pain, yeah. right? You know, and they're about to be homeless <laughs> and all this kind of stuff, and you go, God's got a lot for you in the future. Yeah, okay, but, but at the moment I need to be fed. Yeah, there's this thing called agency. You know, even Adam and Eve lost the son. Yeah, and then you go up one step further. Even God lost a lot. But and, and and we know those things at one level. But when we're hurting, it can ring a little hollow. Can it? Yeah. So how did the Lord end that prayer? Yeah. He had to leave and a that. He wasn't going to be a rich man there. No, there he was. He went a... to America mm-hmm. for that Yeah. And, and if I were a rich man, he turns around. He's got three beautiful daughters, and and they will make various choices. Yeah. Okay. So that said, that that. So to me, part of what happens when. As I watch people go through these struggles and we want guarantees, uh, the, the ability to trust that God knows what He's doing and eventually things will work out for our best good uh, is learning how to trust. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a good friend of mine that um, uh, was driving his truck uh, just to go get lunch and he went through an intersection that he's gone through hundreds of times and another truck came out of nowhere, plowed into the side of him, uh, totaled his truck, sent him to the hospital, uh, and it took months of rehab to finally where he could actually kind of walk again without pain. Okay, he's fortunate. Okay, even now, not too long ago, I was riding with him in in his new truck in the same intersection, and and he's on and he's going down the left hand side rather than the right hand side. We're going to the restaurant on the right side. He goes through the the uh, intersection on the left lane and I said why are you doing that he says because this is the intersection where I got hit if I'm in the left lane I got another second maybe if somebody's barreling through there to see what's coming on and he so at years later he still has a hard time trusting at the same intersection because there's amygdala in the back of his brain goes oh we know this intersection this is where painful bad things happen you know, and he's going to start making some changes in what he does, just to try and avoid having that pain show up again. Wow! So learning to trust that he can go through this intersection without getting hit takes two things over time. One, so trust to me equals two things: it is time and consistency. Time and consistency. Just those two things have to kind of come together over time. Okay. Now, so where are we going with all of this? Back to Peter. Let's go to Acts 12.
So about this time, Herod the king, and I've got a little note up here. This is actually Herod Agrippa I, and he's the grandson of Herod the Great, who slaughtered the innocents at the time of the Savior, and he's the nephew of Herod that killed John the Baptist. This is a nasty family of Herods. Uh, he, he decided he was going to beg certain of the church and he's going to try and please the Sanhedrin and get in good with them. So it's a political move. So look at what he does. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. John is one of the first of the twelve uh, to die that we know of. And it, and it comes in this manner. James. James, the brother of John. Uh, and it pleased the Jews, uh, so now he's going to take Peter. And Peter was kept in prison, uh, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church. So what happens is, is that he's now hauled off to prison, and the church starts to fast and pray for him. Okay? Uh, without ceasing unto God. Uh, so Herod's going to put him in in jail. Now, the, what, what happened the last time Peter got put in jail? The angel. The angel lets him out, right? Him and John. Okay. So he's going to put him in jail. And, and, and he, so he's going to put him there, sleeping between two shoulder, soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Okay. And oh, and, and verse 4, he's going to put four quadrants, another four squads of soldiers to keep him in there. He's going to hold him until Passover. So he's got four squads on the outside. We're going to put him and we're going to chain him with two chains in the prison. We're going to put two soldiers on either side of him. He's not getting out this time. Okay? What happens? <laughs> Seven. The angel of the Lord came, uh, shined a light in the prison, uh, smoked Peter on the, on the side, <laughs> Wake up. <laughs> uh, some of the details here. Smoke Peter on the side, raise him up, rise quickly, the chains fall off his hands. Uh, the angel says, Gird thyself, bind on thy sandals he did, cast thy garment about thee, get dressed, and follow me. Okay? And then we get the we get all these details. Okay, he's gonna go out, verse ten, they go past the first and second ward, oh, this thing in the prison, this one in the prison, they open on their own court, they go out, they go through the uh, street, wherewith the angel departs, uh, and then he says, now I know of a surety, the Lord has delivered me, then he's going to go to the house, and a teenager is going to answer the door. Her name's Rhoda, I think she's 13, or 14. How do we know that? Peter knocked on the door of the gate, a damsel came to the to hearken, named Rhoda, she heard Peter's voice. She opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. <laughs> it's another one of those millennial Netflix moments, isn't it? I gotta watch this one. <laughs> so, so Peter, Peter's showing up, and I was like, "Okay, it's me, it's Peter." And she goes, "It's Peter!" And she runs back into the house to tell him Peter's out there. Where is he? Well, did you let him in? Uh, no. <laughs> That's how come I know she's 13. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
I should let him in. Yeah. <laughs> and you can see Peter out there. I know Rhoda. She she's I'll be glad when she's older. <laughs> yeah, they said unto her, Thou art mad. Because she constantly I know you're a little nuts. <laughs> Uh, it was even so, and they said, no, it's his angel. We know where he is, so it's maybe just a spirit kind of thing. <laughs> and then Peter's like, hello, I'm still out here. You know? And by the way, if they figure out that I'm gone, they may snatch me. And so I'd rather not stay out here in the street too long. Hello. <laughs> and, and, and then they opened the door and they saw him. And they were astonished. Oh, man. All these little great moments. Um, now, out of this, though, rolls a couple of uh, questions for me. Let's start off here. So, in the case of James, what happens with James? James gets the sword. What about Peter? Peter gets... Prayers and in prison and the angel. Which one was more righteous? They were both the same. So who decided who would get the sword and who would get the angel? Isn't that a little random? It was what? There was still more for Peter to do before he left. Maybe there's a purpose here. Okay. Thirty years later, twenty-five years later, something like this. Guess what? John will get the island. Peter gets the cross. Who decided on that one? And so this is where we start to say, do we understand the Lord in saying, wait a minute, wouldn't we in our life like to know, in my particular life, how do I know, how can I guarantee whether I will get the sword or whether I will get the angel? Can I do things in my life that help give me a warranty, give me a guarantee as to whether I will get the sword or the angel? Because the, the sword scares me to death. And the sword would be painful. And I would like to have, I would like to make sure that God isn't just random. Just make sure you have everything unfinished. Just, just take care of things on a regular basis. Yeah. one who gets a sword gets an angel too. There was an angel. Which is, an, again, which is not a great consolation to James' family. No. Because uh, I would wonder if James' wife is saying... Um, we're glad that Peter's okay, but you know it would have been all right if it was Peter instead of James. I hate to say that, but he's got family, and we miss him. We would have, we would have liked it to be. How about both of them got an angel? Wouldn't that have been better? Couldn't they both get an angel? How come if this is one of the apostles that God wouldn't protect James to make sure that he got an angel too? What happened? And there's, there's the dilemma that we face. Yeah. Why do missionaries get killed on their mission? Why should a missionary who has the, blessed, the prayers of a 
ward and the prayers of a righteous family, you're going to send this kid out on a mission and he comes back in a casket. That's, that shouldn't work that way, should it? Let, let me take it one, one step farther. Because this is the one that always uh, interests me a bit. Peter was kept in prison, verse 5, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God. Okay, so so what happens if you get... So sometimes we're going to, as a ward or a stake, we'll hold a, a ward fast or a family fast for somebody. Okay? So let's say that you live in a, in a family and it has a really big family. And you're going to say, we need everybody to fast for Aunt Tilly because she's... Uh, She's going in for cancer surgery. And so we have, you know, 80 people fasting for her. And then she got well. And we say, well, it, she was upheld by the prayers of this massive family or this big ward family that loved her. And it worked. Okay. Now, what about the righteous person over here and has a family with two people? Or a very small branch? Is the Lord going to hear, this is the question, is the Lord going to hear the 80 more than he's going to hear the two? No. Doesn't make sense, does it? Our hearts say that God is no respecter of persons. So how come we do it? Because sometimes even the prophet has asked for, a, for the, the church to fast at certain moments. Okay, so it's not a false thing. Yeah. Well, the miracle is that we have 80 praying. Yes. For what? What are 80 people praying for? For what? For the Lord's will. For the isn't that what it's about? Isn't it the fact that you've got 80 people praying that the Lord's will be done here? We know what we would like. Our humanness wants her to be well. But our ability to, to, to fast and pray and get ourselves to the point where we say 80 people are going to become united, that we're going to trust that the Lord's will will be done. And we don't know whether there will be an angel or a sword. But we know that this God is just. This God loves us. And that at the end of the day, what will turn out will be in their best interest. Yeah. Um, I think about this because I think that line of thinking of the why me can destroy you. I mean, I think that can destroy you. Can eat us up, especially if we have a belief of how God is supposed to do things. Right. And I know growing up, we lost, my dad died when I was really young, and he was really young, 42. Yeah. And there were people who were being killed and killed, and then he died. And then my you know, my grandfather, we were going to funerals, I think, that year, and one year was having much prayer. And um, there was that question as a child. Why are why is Holy Father taking all these people out of my life? I need these people. And as I grew up in the church and the gospel, and my mother, who has um, stayed so strong in the gospel and has taught us, I have learned so many things through that process that I would never have learned. And I just felt my father with me every step. So I think I know there's a reason and a purpose, and I don't understand all of it. One day I will. That um, I have faith. You have faith in, in what? That God loves me. Yes. And I trust His, I trust his purpose. Okay. And isn't that our guarantee? 
At the end of this, you say, we want to guarantee, and, and our number one guarantee, as our faith grows and our spiritual maturity grows, what is, what is our knowledge? What do we trust in? That God loves us. That this God that we worship has ultimately sees the entire picture, both on this side of the veil and the next and into the eternities, and knows what is best for us. And also knows that sometimes by sheer mortality, we're talking about agency, that somebody may come along and exercise their agency and inflict pain and suffering into us. We didn't choose it, had no reflection on our righteousness, but it just happened. There's a certain randomness to mortality. But if at the end of this we begin to believe that God loves us, there is a, there is a, a leavening to that pain. So that it doesn't have to consume us. But if we're expecting a one-to-one -one correlation, tithing means no financial stuff, you know, prayers mean we don't lose anybody, righteousness means no adversity, we kind of, and it's not how God works. When I lost my husband, I had a terrible time he was only 55. Yeah. And uh, I seen all, I mean, we were state missionaries back when they had state missionaries. And we were doing everything. We were working with the missionaries, young missionaries. And he died, and I seen all of these worthless men having a blast. All these unrighteous guys seem to be but doing just fine. It came to me. He said, I didn't say it would be easy, but I did say it would be worth it. Yeah. And, and based on our belief about life at the time, again, if we expect these one-to-one -one correlations, we're, we're creating gods of our own making. Because that isn't how God works. And there's going to be times when, uh, you, you know, you look at, here, here's uh, Joseph and Brigham, you know. Joseph gets the hail of bullets, Brigham gets a soft bed when he dies. You say, which one is... Well, it's what happens, yeah. The guarantee will be honored on the other side of the veil. And so it's not like we're, there's not really a guarantee. There is a guarantee, but it doesn't take effect until our next... And our mortal mind... And so that's the moving that we're talking about. When we've talked about... This, this idea of God having to move us from here as natural men and women with an imperfect understanding of Him and move us to this one which understands His eternal purposes is a step-by-step -step process and we have to be brought along the way. We have to have the testimony and then the application tied together. Um, James Talmadge. We are apt in our weakness to pray with our lips and scarcely expect in our hearts that our petitions will be granted. <laughs> let, let, let me read that one again. Let that one kind of seep in for a second. We are apt in our weakness to pray with our lips and scarcely expect in our hearts that our petitions will be granted. I often think that we are not unlike the saints of olden times that were gathered in prayer at the time of Peter's imprisonment. Yet, we today feel surprised when the Lord manifests His power to us in any strong or otherwise remarkable manner. Why? Why would we do that? 
We're praying. Why are we so surprised when he answers? Because we don't always know. Well, he always answers, but we don't know, always know he's going to answer the way we want him to. Well, not only are we surprised, but we expect that he won't. At some level, we expect that he's not going to do it. I'm going to ask, but do I really believe that he's going to answer it the way that I would like it to be answered? Or do I, in my heart of hearts, do I believe in a God that never really answers my prayers? That he always, I always get the sword and not the angel. Yeah, yeah. I just think that, because I think there is a reality here that if we're just going to be honest inside our hearts, I'm not asking for a raise of hands here, but if we are going to be really honest with ourselves, I think, I, I believe it's a lot of what Elder Tamlin just saying is that a lot of times we pray and we really don't expect that he's going to answer because either it's our unworthiness or because well, he just not, he's not going to turn out the way that we want. And we maybe and part of it is trust because there have been those times when we have prayed for uh, people and it hasn't happened the way that we want to and the trust in Him hasn't kicked in. We're needing time and consistency, but the time says there is a randomness to life. I think the thing that's hardest for me is that I really know 100 percent that He can. And yes, but I also know that He may He not. can He can do it. He can do it. But he won't. But he won't. So when I pray, I'm not saying I don't think I won't. It's just I don't know if he will this time. Yeah. But then it, it becomes one step further. That actually makes it hard because it's hard to not be bitter that I, I really know he can. So why not? I had a man sitting in my office not long ago, and that's exactly what he said. If I have, if I have to believe that I worship a God that can do it and then won't do it, I'm not sure I can believe in a God like that. I don't think I can make that jump because if he can do it, he should do it. It's his own view of how things should work, right? If he can do it and he won't do it, then he's just being mean. Or if I worship a God that we thought he could do it, but it turns out he really can't, then why would I worship him in the first place? Do we get our feelings hurt? I think we were hoping, we were trying to be good, and and then it didn't turn out the way that we wanted to. And we somehow believe that I, I believe that so often we believe it is an indictment against us. And why? Because we go into church and we look around and we see other people whose blessings seem to be they're getting the blessings, they're getting the angel, and I seem to be getting the sword. The only thing I can tell the difference in is that he, he must out love them more than me. I saw a heck of a yeah, and then here. For me to give perspective like that, I think of when I raise my children. Sometimes I have to say no to them because I know for the better good what they need to have down the road. And so if I receive a no answer, it may be because I don't see the whole picture. Our eyes are still a bit holding. Mm -hmm. We don't see it. Yeah. How can we pray and ask our Father in Heaven to strengthen us and expect to ride on a velvet map through that strengthening period without 
straining our muscles or straining our faith in order to because we would because we would kind of like to we would well, kind of sure. like that I mean we don't like pain but, but we would like it to be softer but some people seem to be getting the angels more often they don't seem to be being stretched very often and I look at their experience through my lens through my own experience. At the end of this chapter, it talks about someone who, who did not recognize that this was God's work, that God was speaking uh, and was killed uh, by the angel. Uh, was uh, smot. Are they talking about Herod? Yes. Yeah, Herod kind of, Yeah, Herod is going to... I think he ended up with syphilis, I think. It's, it's not good. <laughs> well, that's not being smot by the angel. Well, but they saw it as that way. It isn't like they saw an angel... Hacking him with a sword. Okay. Okay. Eller Talmadge. Our greatest cause for wonderment would seem to lie in the contemplation of his mercy that he will interpose in behalf of weak and sinful mortals as many of us are. He is willing today as ever in the past to assist his servants, and that too by what we call miraculous means, should it be necessary. I believe that it is possible for us to pray, pray, to, to pray with a certain faith that the Lord is going to fulfill our what we need. And it's beginning to trust Him. That is the growth that we're having. That trust that He will His plan will be better than ours is what we're trying to do. Yes, sir. Let me share with you would uh, true story that uh, is in the church. Just to kind of 
We're not going to get a chance today to go through all of the, the Paul and uh, Barnabas uh, story. I may pick that up next week. But uh, great discussion, guys. Great discussion. Um, now, I, I just want to kind of finish, though, with this. So now what's going to happen is now they've got to really begin to push in a major way into, uh, into all parts of the known world. And this then sets up what is sometimes called as Paul's first missionary uh, trip. And this is his, his first mission. But I, I wanted to kind of finish on this, on this note. It's interesting. So the, uh, there's a church in Antioch. Uh, Niger, and, and you just kind of see they're, they're heading in all directions. Uh, but look at verse 2. As they had ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul. Saul being the uh, uh, Hebrew name, Saul. And then Paul is the Roman name. And so it isn't like God's changing his name but Paul's going to now wear this Roman name as he goes out into the Gentile world. Okay? So, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, Paul, uh, for the work which I have called him. Now, it's, it's fascinating to me, and, and by the way, you're going to see him here, uh, it's all the way down to... Oh, yeah, we're going to definitely get into this next week. The, the promises made to the fathers, verse 32 and 33. We will start with that next week. Uh, uh, I'm not going to find it. You're going to get seasick watching that. Okay. This is where they're, for, they're called Christians for the first time, in Antioch. Otherwise, they've been in Jerusalem, they've been known as the way. Now they're going to get out there, and this is the first place they're going to be called Christians. Uh, but uh, but this, this idea of separate me Barnabas and Saul. Now, fascinating to me that we have a true principle here, and, and this is the note I want to end on. That for this most sacred work, the Lord has a way of taking that which is common, think about what he's described when he was telling Peter, and making them uncommon. Making takes that which is natural and making them sacred, making them godlike. So, for instance, he will take godly work is going to be done in earthly places, made godlike, meaning that they're sacred and dedicated. Places like chapels and temples, until it's sanctified. Anybody can go through a temple, right? After that, now it's going to be set apart. Set apart from what? The rest of the world. The world is worldly. And this now, this place, this is now designated as a sacred spot on earth. So we're going to take these sacred places where the work takes place at earthly times... So we're going to take this time and God is going to designate certain moments that in this space of time from here to here is going to be sacred. And we call, for instance, we call that the Sabbath, Shabbat. That is, this day is set aside from all other days. And what you do here is different from what you do out there. 
It's not supposed to be the same. Who's performing the work? Well, it's, it's at this, we're doing it in this place, at this sacred time. Now, the work has to be done by certain people, right? And these people are going to then be, by earthly people, made sacred. They're, and and in the, the term that they use in, in Acts 13 is that they are separated. And I like that term a lot. That we are made sacred. And that means that we are set apart. The setting apart, setting you apart. If you've been set apart in a calling, you're set apart from who? You're separated from who? Everybody else in the war. Why? Because in this sacred place, in this sacred time, the work of this part of God's vineyard is going to rest on you who have been separated. You've been set apart to carry out this work. You are different. Now, if there are priesthood responsibilities that are given to some, there's a handful in the war, there are three that get certain priesthood keys that unlock certain power. The three in a, in a ward, for instance, that hold keys are bishop, bishop teacher's quorum, teacher's president, deacon's quorum. Three keys. Ah. But, the, but everybody who is, doesn't matter whether you're ward mission leader or whether you're Relief Society instructor, the idea is that you're going to, under the laying on of hands, by proper authority, you're going to be separated from the rest of the ward. It is your responsibility to carry out this sacred work in this sacred place in this sacred time. Isn't that cool? And that, may, that period of time may end after a while, but during that period of time, in the same way that the Sabbath day has a close, your calling comes to a close. So I, I just like that idea. Picture yourself kind of being separated out uh, in this process of doing this work. Okay, um, next week we will, I want to start with the idea and look, look further in, Here, here's, your, here's your homework for next week. There's an interesting phrase here that's being used, and it's right here in verse 32. We declare unto you glad tidings, this is Paul talking, t- Paul preaching in the synagogue, how the promise was made to the fathers. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children. I want you to do some research on the promises made to the fathers and in the other places in the scriptures where promises are made to the fathers and it has an effect on the children. And I want you to see it in this light against what he's preaching. And we'll start with that next week. Uh, I bury my testimony. Uh, these guys were... Are, are such an inspiration to us. I pray that we can take on their their example and and make the changes we need to in our life. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
We're so thankful for the gospel and its restoration. Thankful for the many blessings that we enjoy because we are on the earth at this time. And we'll pray for thy spirit to go with us this day and save these things in the name of thy son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.